Greetings, Cross Point Church and friends of Cross Point. Orange, you all glad that we're no longer in red. I'm one that is. Well, this is week four of our sermon series from the Sermon on the Mount, and we're simply titling it, uh, It's an Upside-Down World. And it, has it ever been any more uh, in opposition, upside down to what this world believes into the, than the scripture we're looking at today. And I want to talk to you today about stuff. Father, I pray that you would, that the words, the word in your word, where it says the word of God is sharper than a double-edged sword, would take that word today and pierce it to the quick of every heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. One of the greatest baseball players of all time, Hank Aaron, died just nine days ago. He was 86 years of age. Now there are many stories about hammering Hank, as he was commonly known, home run king. Uh, but this one... Uh, is my favorite story about him. He came to bat against the Yankees in the 1957 World Series. Yogi Berra was the Yankee catcher, and as Aaron approached the plate, Yogi noticed that the bat was facing the wrong way. Now, now as kids, we always knew that when you held a bat, that the, the, the trademark, we called it the manufacturer's stamp, was always to be facing up. At least we thought that. I don't know why we thought that. So as Aaron approaches the plate, Yogi says to him, turn the bat around, Hank, so you can see the trademark. And Aaron replies, didn't come up here to read, came up here to hit. Hank Aaron had his priorities straight. And that's something that the Bible is very clear about. It advises us all to get our priorities straight. And I do not think that there is any other area of our lives that gives us as much trouble when it comes to setting priorities as this subject I want to speak to you about today. My subject, as I mentioned already, is stuff. I take you to Matthew chapter 6, and we're in verse 19. Talk about an upside-down world. We read, don't store up treasures, Jesus says. Don't store up stuff here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where they will never become moth-eaten or rusty and where they will be safe from thieves. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and your thoughts will also be. Your eye is a lamp for your body. A pure eye lets sunshine into your soul. But an evil eye shuts out the light and plunges you into darkness. If the light you think you have is really darkness, how deep that darkness will be. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So I tell you, 
Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink, and clothes. Doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? And then down to verse 32, your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs, and he will give you all you need from day to day if you live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Pastor Bob Diffenbaugh of Richardson, Texas says, he wrote these words, he says, materialism, and that's just defined, that means if you have a problem with stuff, it has nothing to do which, with how much money you or I have in the bank. It has little to do whether you drive a 2005 Hyundai or whether you drive a new BMW. Materialism, a problem with stuff, is primarily an attitude towards money and its importance. Materialism is an attitude which attaches to money and material goods more importance than they deserve. So I want to talk to you now these next moments, and I guess I could say this sermon is more teach than preach. I want to share with you seven things that will help you handle stuff. Here's the first. Jesus makes the point that stuff is temporary. He begins by reminding us of the very temporary nature of stuff. And I take you back to verse 19, which reads, Don't store up stuff. Don't store up treasures here on earth where they can be eaten by moths and get rusty and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is saying, if a moth or if rust or a thief can erode it or take it from you, then obviously it's temporary. It's here today and gone tomorrow. I'm talking to you today about the stuff you buy the stuff you wear, the stuff you insure, the stuff you eat, the stuff you value, the stuff you drive, the stuff you live in. Now, I like old Jeeps. I've owned six of them. I'm on my seventh now, and the one I presently have is 17 years old, but it's a it's a solid old Jeep. I really only have the one hobby. I off-road a little bit, mostly pretty gentle stuff by off-roading standards. And I putter around my Jeep a lot. I wash it and I wax it and it's 17 years old. I sand the rust off and I paint it and I undercoat it. And then I stand back and I admire it. And often when I'm inside, Maybe I shouldn't even admit this. I, I find myself going to the window just to look out at my old Jeep and admire it. But I need to remind myself once in a while that it won't be many years until my Jeep and all the other Jeeps will go to the crusher. And, and they'll become, it'll become nothing more than scrap metal. And then it will become a girder in a bridge somewhere or they'll probably take the rustiest of the metal and make a new Ford car out of it. Well, Jesus is making the point here that to put too much value 
and to take too much time with stuff it is not unlike Mrs. Marva Drew of Waterloo, Iowa, who loved to type. She typed from one to one million on an old-fashioned typewriter, and it took her six years. And uh, when she was asked, why would you do such a thing? She said, well, I, I love to type. She told them that it took 2,473 pages for this feat of triviality. Stuff is temporary. And one day, if we, if we spend, give too much attention to stuff, one day we'll realize that it's a feat of triviality, not unlike the feat of Marva Drew. Stuff is temporary. So that's number one. Here's number two. There are seven. Here's two. Stuff is addictive. Verse 21 Wherever your treasure is, there your heart and thoughts will be also. Jesus is making the point here that what gets your attention gets you. You see it? Whatever has your thoughts has your affection. And, uh, and that's what you value. And eventually, Jesus is saying, it gets your heart. An anonymous writer tells about an American tourist visit to the Polish rabbi, Hofitz Chaim. Astonished to see that the rabbi's home was only a simple room filled with books plus a, a table and a bench, the tourist says, Rabbi, where, where is your furniture? To which the rabbi said, where's yours? Mine said the puzzled tourist. I'm just a visitor here. I'm only passing through, says the rabbi. So am I. Kayam had a grip on a truth, I fear, that has eluded many Christians in the 21st century. And that's this. He knew it. Stuff is addictive. Stuff does make a bid for our for our attention with the goal of eventually capturing our heart. So remember, remember, really, we are all just passing through. Be careful. Jesus is cautioning us, cautioning us here, warning us that stuff can be addictive. In verse 23, he, said, he says, he makes the point that a stuff addict has an evil eye. It shuts out the light. We need to be careful. Stuff is temporary. It's addictive. Here's number three. Stuff is divisive. It's divisive. If we're not careful, stuff can even drive a wedge between us and God. I take you to verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For you will hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to one and despise the other. You can't serve, says Jesus, you can't serve both God and money. And you could take the word money out of there and put in possessions. You can't serve God and possessions. You can't serve God and pleasures. You can't serve God and stuff. Remember the story of the young CEO that came to Jesus to ask, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and the, the encounter concluded when Jesus said to him, remember, go sell your stuff 
and give it to the poor and come follow me. And the story finishes. The young man turned and walked away. You see, it's stuff was so important to this young man that it separated him from God. And he wasn't the last one that that has happened to. Pastor and author Charles Swindoll recalls a conversation that he had with the late Corey Ten Boom. Now, Corey Ten Boom's family, Dutch family, hid Jews from the Nazis during the Second World War and were caught at it and sent to a concentration camp. She survived it, the camp. And she said to Swindoll, in her broken English, she said, Chuck, I've learned that we must hold everything loosely because when I, when I, when I grip it tightly, it hurts. When the father pries my fingers loose and takes it from me. She discovered she could not grip the father's hand and stuff at the same time. You see, it's stuff is divisive. Here's number four. Stuff is stressful. Verse 25 says, don't worry about food. Don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food, drink, clothes. Don't stress, Jesus is saying, about stuff. American author and philosopher Henry David Thoreau of the 19th century said something pretty profound, but quite simple. Here it is. If you don't own a throw rug, then you won't have to clean it. You get it? The, main, the, the more stuff we have, the more time it takes, the more energy it takes the, to maintain it, to save it, to store it, to, to clean it. Now, maybe you're thinking, you're hearing this simple sermon and you're thinking, well, I don't have all that much stuff. Yes, you do. Come on. We've been married. Well, Oan and I have been married over 50 years and we've moved 17 times. That might be a record, maybe not. And the stuff, the stuff we have moved, yard sailed, given away, value villaged, lugged to man to landfill. It stresses me just thinking about it. Stress, stuff is stressful. Some years back, psychologist Richard Carlson wrote a best-selling book. Maybe you didn't read it, but you've heard of the title at least. Don't Sweat the Small Stuff was the title of his book. He got the idea of his book one day while driving his little girl home from school, and they got caught in rush hour traffic and spent 40 minutes creeping along the freeway. And as they sat in their car, Carlson's daughter looked at all the other cars also creeping along and finally said daddy why are all the people mad Carlson got to thinking about it and he realized that they did look grim and anxious look on their faces and he he uh, he knew they probably weren't mad but they sure didn't look happy and it caused him to reflect on the causes of their unhappiness and he concluded that it was stuff. And so he wrote his book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. For he was convinced that most of the things that we worry over are not really worth worrying about in the first place. Stress, stuff is stressful. Here's number five. 
Stress doesn't satisfy. Jesus said, verse 25 again, doesn't life consist of more than food and clothing? Doesn't life consist, he's saying, of more than stuff? He's saying, come on. It, it, there's more to life than that. Eugene Peterson's translation, the message, puts it this way. People who don't know God and the way he works fuss over these things. They chase. They buy. They hoard. They collect. But it does not satisfy. Tennis star Boris Becker from some years ago was at the very top of the tennis world, and yet he was on the brink of suicide. Here's what he said. I had won Wimbledon twice before, once as the youngest player ever. I was rich. I had all the material possessions I needed. It's the old song of movie stars and pop stars who commit suicide. They have everything, and yet they are so unhappy. I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. Becker's is not the only one to feel that sense of emptiness. Jack Higgins, author of such successful novels as The Eagle Has Landed, was asked what he would like to have known as a boy, and here's his answer. He said, I would like to have known that when you get to the top, there's nothing there. Stuff doesn't satisfy. Here's number six. Stuff is necessary. Some stuff, Jesus, Jesus acknowledges that here. Some stuff you must have. He recognizes that. Verse 32 says, the Father already knows all of your needs. Jesus is making the point that there are, we need some stuff. And he mentions the three several times here, food, drink, clothes. But you know what? I believe our problem is as it relates to stuff, we don't know. We don't, we have a hard job figuring out where necessary ends and excess begins. We really have trouble finding the line between what we need and what we want. And maybe it's because the line between what we need and what we want, it isn't, it isn't black and white. It's more like a gradual change. There's white, and then there's off-white, and then there's light gray, and then there's deep gray, and then there's charcoal before you get to black. It's just not black or white. And it's difficult for us to determine what we need and separate that from what we just want. I've been to Guatemala five times since 2008. And what believers there, what believers in Guatemala think is necessary compared to what I think is necessary, it's very different. They have, what I noticed about these dear people there, is that they have very little of this world's stuff, and yet they seem so happy and content. Which leads me to the seventh and last. Here it is. Stuff is provided. Verse 33. He will give you all you need. From day to day, if you will live for him and make the kingdom of God your primary concern. You see it? He's saying the stuff you need, 
He will give you all you need from day to day. Stuff is provided. So there, the last part of verse 33 is the key, is the key for us all to deal with stuff. Make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Are you doing that? Am I doing that? Here is a materialist bedtime prayer. A materialist, a person that has a problem with stuff, obviously prayed this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray my good health I will keep. I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise. That all my investments turn out all right and that my hot tub's watertight. That my golf game avoids the rough and, and that my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my iPhone always works. That my career won't lose its perks. I pray my microwave won't radiate and that my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. If I go broke before I wake, I pray my Lexus they won't take. I do think the kingdom of God is not his primary concern. Is it yours? So how will you respond to a sermon like this? I think I suggest to you that there are three ways to respond to a message like this. You can, you can deny that you have a problem. Do you know what I, th I, I really believe this? That when we hear a sermon like this, we're inclined to, we're inclined to look around at other believers and identify someone that we think has a worse problem than we do, and so we conclude, well, I'm doing better than them, I guess I'm okay. We deny we have a problem. That's one way to respond to a sermon like this. Here's another. You can delay, delay dealing with the problem. You can hear a message like this, and, and the Spirit is nudging some of you just this moment. And you're, some of you are thinking, God's speaking to me about this matter. And I'm going to deal with it sometime soon. You can delay or you can deal with the problem. I will make the kingdom of God my primary concern. Are you laying up treasures in heaven? This is only a story, but it's a good story, of a wealthy woman who when she reached heaven was, was shown to her place of residence. It was a very plain house. And she objected. Well, she was told that's the dwelling place prepared for you. And then she looked across the way and said, well, whose, whose mansion is that over here? And her guide said, that belongs to your gardener. And she said, how, how is it that he has a house so much better than mine? Here's the answer. The houses here are prepared from the materials that you send up. We do not choose them. You choose them by the way you prioritize your life. You choose the materials that the house up there is made out of by the, by the way the value you put on stuff, by the way you handle your stuff. 
I said it was just a story, but it bears a profound truth about the stuff that we accumulate. So as I pray now, would you, would you agree with me as I pray this prayer? Father, look into my heart today. Am I making your kingdom my primary concern? Father, have I attached more importance to stuff than it deserves? Father, do you want to pry my fingers loose from some things that I'm gripping too tightly? Father, do I really believe that I'm just passing through? Father, am I laying up treasures in heaven? I open my heart to you. Make me, mold me, fill me, use me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.